Well, hey, everyone. Good to see all of you. Welcome to those of you joining us online. My name is John Alexander, one of the pastors here on staff, if we haven't met before. But today we're kicking off a brand new series called The New You. And I'm so glad you're here because last May when Bob, Jason, and a few of us went off to plan this year's message series and topics, we ended up asking each other this question. If you were stranded on a desert island, what are some of the best chapters from the Bible that you would bring with you to read over and over again? I know what you're thinking. We like to party on these message series planning retreats, okay? But as fun as asking that question sounds, the answer to that question led us to this series. See, we are specifically gonna teach through three of the greatest chapters in the entire Bible, Romans chapters six, seven, and eight, as we look at what it means to live like a new you. Now, before we dive in, let me begin by asking you a question. Is there anything you wish you could change about yourself? I mean, if you're like me, you thought of something instantly. At the top of my list, pretty vain things, but I wish I was 15 pounds lighter and I looked a little more like actor Ryan Gosling. Or a lot more like actor Ryan Gosling. But I wish I could eat healthier, be more organized, stay more disciplined, and live with less anxiety. Now let me ask a follow-up question. Have you ever tried to change one of these things about yourself and failed? I know I have. My healthy eating, organized, disciplined, more content self usually falls short. See, most of us set out with great intention to change something about ourselves. We may even improve or live differently for a time, but oftentimes we fall back and end up struggling with the same things that we've always struggled with. Paul, the author of Romans, says this in Romans chapter seven. He writes, I, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I wanna do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. See, Paul gets it. He clearly didn't follow through on all his New Year's resolutions. But this same guy in another passage of scripture writes this. He said, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. See, we believe as Christians that when we put our faith in Christ, we are made new. So I've often wondered, why does it always feel that way? Well, why do I still battle my old thoughts, habits, and tendencies? If the old life is supposed to be gone, why do I still struggle with it? We've got two dogs, Bear and Nala. Bear is a Yorkshire Terrier mixed with something. He's loyal, but reluctant to do much of anything other than look for opportunities to steal food from our two kids. Nala is a Shih Tzu. I've always wanted to say that word in church. <laughs> She may be the most obedient dog in the history of dogs, but she's also highly distrustful of anyone who enters our space. So a few winters ago, Nala, who's also lightning quick, saw a squirrel in our backyard and took off after it. Before we could stop her, Nala had somehow caught, twisted, and flung this squirrel several feet in the air as it landed on the ground with a thud. We watched all of this unfold from our deck in complete shock. So Emily got the dogs into the house and made sure Maddox, our son, was occupied with something else. And then she turned to me and she said, John, we gotta take care of this thing because it's just lying there on the ground in our backyard. I said, great, I'll watch the dogs and the kid. You go take care of the squirrel. I love the animals. But eventually she played the you're the man of the house card, which I don't always love. And so I went to see what needed to be done. I kept my distance, 
But after getting within 10 feet, I did what I think anyone would do at this point. I called the city of White Bear Lake. <laughs> White Bear Lake, we've got a dead squirrel here. Can you send a squirrel removal person to help us? I think they laughed and hung up the phone on me. So I turned to Emily, do I call 911? No, don't call 911, just take care of it. Make sure it's dead and whack it with a shovel if you need to. Whack it with a shovel? What kind of barbarian do you think I am? So I eventually put on thick rubber gloves. I, I grabbed a shovel, not to whack it, but to scoop up this 95% I'm confident is dead squirrel and put it in the trash can before you call PETA on me. Even though I did lay in bed that night worried that the squirrel was gonna come back to life and haunt me, it was dead, it was dead, okay? But isn't that how we treat our old life of sin sometimes? I mean, we don't necessarily always even want to throw it out. Other times we'd rather just leave it and, and hope it kind of takes care of itself. Or even when we, we think we've taken care of that sin, we're not entirely sure that it's completely dead and gone. We say sorry, we vow to change, and a, a few days go by without a repeat offense. We promise, we commit, we, we read a few self-help books and, and things improve for a few weeks. We make some life changes. We get active at Quest 180 again and the addiction decreases for a few months. But then that sin that we thought was dead and gone manages to sneak back into our lives. One of my ongoing sin battles is my struggle with anger. I can go from zero to 60 in three seconds when it comes to anger. 95% of the time, I'm right here emotionally. Not too up, not too down, pretty low key, but I can boil over like that. Anger in and of itself is not a sin. It's what you do when angry that's a sin, but that's always been the problem for me. As a kid, I have distinct memories of not getting my way or losing a game and then going into my bedroom and just firing objects against my bedroom wall. In high school, college, professional baseball, if I struck out in a key moment, I would take my helmet and I would fling it back towards the dugout and yell things that no one should yell. When my coach started benching me for these angry outbursts, I didn't stop getting angry. I just found a way to get angry in secret. I would go behind the dugout where I would yell and throw things that I thought no one could see or hear me do. And now as a parent and a husband, I still battle this same anger. Just last month, Maddox and Marley, our two kids, were being obnoxiously loud when I was on the phone. So when I hung up the phone, I yelled, there will be no more yelling in this house. <laughs> or even worse, when Emily and I, my wife and I are having a conversational argument, I can go from that conversational argument to saying something hurtful in a split second. It always surprises me. It comes from my depths. Thing is, I've worked really hard on I've prayed, I've reflected, I've spent time analyzing where it comes from. I'm still trying to figure it out. But thankfully, it's gotten better. Become less defensive, and the outbursts, though rare, aren't nearly as intense and sinful, but the struggle with anger is still there. I put my faith in Christ. I follow Christ on a daily basis. So why do I still struggle with this old life that's supposed to be gone? And the question that I've been asking myself, the question of today and the question of this series is really this. How do I live like a new person? See, Paul, the author of Romans, 
he wrestled with this question as much as anyone in history. And thankfully, he actually didn't just wrestle with the question, he actually has an answer for us. So each week of this series, we hope to unpack a little more of what it takes to live like a new you. But before we look at Romans chapter six, where we are gonna begin, I wanna make sure we understand the foundation that Paul lays in the first five chapters of Romans. He writes, Adam and Eve, the first humans, were given complete freedom to do whatever they wanted, except, God said, to not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's a test of their obedience. But what did they do? They ate, they failed the test, they disobeyed, and they sinned. So Paul says this. He said, when Adam sinned, sin entered the human race. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Sin, this thing inside us that that causes us to go against God's best for our lives, sin entered the world. And ever since then, the human race has been born with sin. I saw Pastor Andy Stanley use this illustration to describe what Paul writes next. Sin has now entered the human race. So since then, when we were born, we were born in Adam, a sinner, desire to disobey God. So when I was born, I was born in Adam, a sinner, this desire to go against what God wants for me, a desire to sin. When, when Maddox was born, our son, oh man, it was so clear right out of the chute. He was born a sinner, a horrible, horrible sinner. Put him in there. When Marley was born, our little girl, she was so sweet and innocent and cute, totally unlike a boy. She was, but then she turned a year and a half and it was very clear she was a, a sinner. My wife, Emily, um, I'm not sure if she's watching or not, so let's just uh, put her over here. No, no, she was born a sinner. All of humanity, Pastor Bob, Pastor Jason, my mother-in-law, the Pope, all of us just born sinners. Desire to go against what God wants for us. It's not fair. It's not fair. I get that, but just because it's not fair doesn't make it any less true. We are born and then separated into good, bad, or, or pretty good piles. We are born in Adam, we are born sinners, and that's some really bad news. It's bad news because being born in Adam means that we are separated from God. But then here's some really great news. See, Paul writes this, when we were utterly helpless, born in this sin, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners utterly helpless, born in Adam, but God sends his son Jesus. Jesus lives a perfect, sinless life and restores what Adam had destroyed, a right standing relationship with God. So Paul says, what a contrast. And then look what he writes. He said, the sin of one man, Adam, caused death to rule over us, but to all who receive God's wonderful, gracious gift of righteousness will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. One man, 
Jesus Christ. In order to move from Adam to Christ, Paul says it's a matter of receiving God's wonderful, gracious gift of righteousness. How do you do that? Later in Romans 10, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart a matter of faith that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. To receive this gift, it's a matter of of faith. It's a matter of grace and it's simply a matter of receiving in faith what Christ has done for us. And all it takes to move from Adam to Christ is to receive that the old life is gone. A new life has begun. Old life in Adam and a new life in Christ. And suddenly what Christ offers is yours to receive. That's it. That's the beauty and simplicity of the gospel. But there's a problem. See, the problem is we don't always live like this new person in Christ. We still sin. We still struggle. And yet there's supposed to be this new you that, that becomes to living in Christ. How do you live like that new person when the struggle with the old is there? Well, let's imagine for a second that your parents set up a trust fund in your name. It's yours, but until you start receiving payments from that trust fund, you aren't experiencing the full benefits that your parents wanna provide you. In the same way, if you put your faith in Christ, this new life is yours. A new life filled with hope, forgiveness, and eternal life. It's got your name all over it. But until you start drawing from it, until you start growing in it and receiving it, you aren't experiencing the full benefits of living like a new you in Christ. So for the short time we have remaining, I wanna give you two ways that you can begin to live like this new you. And the first is this, put sin to death daily. Now I know we just got done talking about there's gonna be this struggle with sin, but, but look at what Paul promises as he goes on in Romans six. He says, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Look at that promise. When we put our faith in Christ, we are set free from the power of sin. The new you has the power to put sin to death. We are no longer enslaved. The stranglehold of sin is loosened. Sins like lust, deceit, greed, selfishness, they've lost their power in our lives. The new you has the power to put sin to death. Now, even though sin has lost its power, there's a struggle. That's because we're not totally free from sin's pull on our lives, which is why it's such a daily battle. Let me try to use an illustration. When I was in sixth grade, my parents somehow let me subscribe to Columbia House Records. It was one of those deals where you could buy 12 CDs for $1. And then they would trap you into automatic monthly withdrawals from your bank account until you die. It's awesome. 
my parents might still be on the hook for some of those payments. Who knows? But I'll never forget the first album that I purchased. It was Green Day's Dookie album. It was so rebellious and cool as a sixth grader. I played this thing over and over again. It became the soundtrack to my adolescence. Now, I haven't listened to that album in many, many years, but I can still remember most of the lyrics to almost all of those songs. See, I have the power to press play or not on that album, but the lyrics remain a part of me. In the same way, when you put your faith in Christ, you have the power to stop listening to sin. But some of those repeating messages about sin are lurking right beneath the surface. Old message tapes are still old message tapes. Habits are still habits. Routines are still routines. Even when we put our faith in Christ, we find ourselves being pulled by sin for one reason, because of certain repeating messages that we've kept about sin. Things like, you know, it's it's not that big of a deal if I give in to this sin this time. Or at least I'm better than him. At least I'm better than her. At least I'm better than you. Well, my dad was a liar and a cheat. My grandpa was a liar and a cheat, so I just, it's gonna be who I am. Or I don't have what it takes to stop looking. I don't have what it takes to to not be addicted. I don't have what it takes to stop sinning. See, we're pulled by sin, we give in to sin because of these repeating messages that we can't free ourselves from. So let me ask you, what are some of those messages you hear playing in your own life? Any of those sound familiar? But here's the deal. Sin doesn't have the power it used to. Sin no longer has a stranglehold on my life. It's like the volume has been turned down. I have a power to resist that I didn't have before Christ. Of course I still struggle. But I don't give in to the same habits and sins like I used to. The same can be true of you. In Christ, you don't need to do what you've always done. In Christ, you don't need to lose this battle. In Christ, you can put sin to death on a daily basis, you can overcome this pull of sin. How are you gonna do that? Really quickly, you gotta be honest about it first of all. If you put your faith in Christ, he will reveal what those sins are, so be honest about it. Be honest, don't lie to yourself. Be honest that there's a struggle there. Second, confess it. You gotta bring it to light. You gotta say to God, I've got this sin in my life, I admit it's wrong and I need help with it. Confess it to God. Third and finally, you gotta bury that thing. You gotta put it in the ground by by dealing with what's beneath the surface. You gotta go after the roots of what is causing that sin in your life. See, maybe there's a peace that's been lacking in your life. Maybe there's a contentment you've longed to feel. Maybe there's an anger or a hatred or a prejudice that you've harbored for a really long time. Be honest about it. Confess it, bring it to light, and then bury it by having a conversation with one of our pastors, by seeing a counselor, or taking a next step in your relationship with God. Don't let that thing fester and rot. Maybe there's a secret sin or an addiction that you've been wrestling with for a really long time, and it feels insurmountable to overcome. Be honest about it. Confess it. 
And get active at Quest 180 again. See, in Christ, you have the power to put sin to death. So do it every single day. That's the first way to live like a new you. Real quickly, second and last one, to final way to live like a new you is this. Live, live like you're free. Look what Paul says here. He says, sin is no longer your master. Some of you need to hear that today. Sin is no longer your master. Instead, live under the freedom of God's grace. Sin is no longer your master. So live like you're free. Free from uh, sin's entanglement and bondage. Free from hopelessness and despair. Free from even the fear and finality of death. Look what Paul says. He says, since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. Death no longer has any power over him. Jesus defeated death and came back to life. Now if you put your faith in Christ, death no longer has any power over you. Sure, we're all gonna pass through physical death, but now we've got this hope of eternal life with God. It's extraordinary. It's hard to believe. It's completely countercultural. But it is the foundation of the gospel, the great news that Jesus came to tell everyone about. I love what Pastor Louis Giglio said. He said the gospel, this great news that Jesus came to bring, isn't simply a message of how bad people become good. It's the power by which dead people come to life. And how does this help you live like a new you? I mean, it's an assurance of salvation, and that's really important. But it's also a reminder that God will make new the worst of our present sufferings. Things that feel like a literal death to us now, the loss of a loved one, broken relationships, sufferings and afflictions that we're experiencing in the world. God will redeem and make new one day, whether in this life or the next. In light of this, Paul says, give yourselves completely, completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. Notice this word completely. Don't hold on to parts of your old life. Don't hide pieces of who you are. Give all of yourselves freely, every good thing, every talent, every bad thing, every sin, every scar, every struggle, every fear, every failure, every single thing. For you were dead, but now you have new life. You are free, so give yourself completely to God. As we wrap things up, I want you to see the story of someone who has experienced this kind of death to life transformation. It's been a struggle for her, but she has experienced this reality. She has been dead, not literally, but dead spiritually, and God has raised her to new life. Take a look at the side screens as we look at the story of Heidi. I am God's child. I have been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. I am complete in Christ. I am free from condemnation. I am confident that the good work God has begun in me will be perfected.
For the last couple years, I've read those words almost every day. Those simple statements are something I truly believe, but that was not always the case. Growing up, I had just normal teenage insecurities, um, nothing really major. But my senior year, when I got my senior pictures back, I looked at them and I just broke down crying and I couldn't believe in my eyes how fat I looked. And I made a promise to myself at that time that I was gonna do everything I could to lose weight and to feel better about myself. So that day I started making myself throw up after I ate. Probably about a few months into this battle, I started getting really depressed. And I felt alone, I felt absolutely hopeless. I would sit up in my bedroom and cry, and I would go on the internet and read poems about depression, and I would just say, oh, you know, that's how I feel, and just let it feed that hurt inside of me. And I felt like I was trapped. I felt like I was just screaming inside and nobody could hear me. I didn't know how to release any of these feelings and that's what led up to the cutting. I was sitting up in my bedroom one day and I cut my arm and at that point I realized that I could focus on a physical pain instead of the internal pain that was going on. And that just started a cycle of throwing up and cutting and I started to crave that. I really did become addicted. When I was 21, I married my husband, Nick. My behaviors at the time didn't change, but they became harder to hide. I didn't really think anything was gonna make me stop at this point. I really didn't think there was a way out and I didn't really see a way out. My relationship with, with God was pretty much non-existent. I still said prayers, but there was no real relationship between God and myself. Uh, a little over four years into our marriage, I found out I was pregnant, and I knew in my head what I was doing was wrong, and I didn't want to bring a child into this. I knew this had to stop. I remember just going in our bathroom and just breaking down, crying to God that I had no clue at this point what to do. I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't know where to turn. It was the most just heartfelt cry that I've had in a very long time, and I think it was the first honest cry to myself and to God about what was going on. I think for a long time, I didn't want to admit what I was doing was killing me. It was killing my relationships. It was killing um, my life. And while I'm sitting on my bathroom floor, I felt this overwhelming peace, and I knew it was God, and I just knew everything was going to be okay. I knew it wasn't going to be easy, but I knew that God was with me and that He was going to help me through this. And starting that night, I completely changed how I viewed my relationship with Christ. So I didn't know how I was going to get through any of this, um, but I made a plan and going forward each morning I would pray and I also wrote in prayer journals which I had never done in the past and that became my outlet. I wrote everything down and I had to immerse myself in worship music. Those were things that I had to do daily and I have to do still to this day multiple times a day. I knew 
this wasn't just gonna go away just because I decided to start praying and reading my Bible, um, but it was a commitment that I was making to myself and to my daughter and to God that I want to get better. And by the time she was born, I was in such a habit and I had such a close relationship with God that those urges to cut myself and to throw up were gone. One day when I was doing my devotionals, um, the verse that popped out at me was 2 Corinthians 5.17. And it says, therefore, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And that really struck me as everything that Heidi went through in the past, that's not who Heidi is today. And those scars are still on my arm. Those scars are never gonna go away but I decided to get that tattoo over my scars as a reminder that Jesus is bigger than those scars. Those scars are part of me. They've made me who I am today, but they do not define me. I am God's child and my identity is in Him. And what a story. You know, we've all got struggles and maybe you're in the midst of a really intense battle. You know, Heidi's on the other side of it. She's got these scars to prove it. And maybe you need a reminder that you have a power available to you to overcome whatever those current struggles are. Maybe you needed a reminder that God has done something miraculous in your own life and you have the scars to prove it. But no matter what your scars are, no matter what your struggle is, no matter where you feel like you're falling short, it's covered up by this truth. Just like we saw at the end of that video, in Christ, the old is gone and new has begun. That is the life that is available to all of us in Christ. And if you wanna take some next steps and cement these truths today, I've got a couple of challenges for you. First of all, get baptized. If you haven't already, we've got an opportunity for you to, to, for you to do that this coming weekend. Baptism is a symbolic act of burying your old life into the water and being raised to new life. Time and time again, we talk to people after they've been baptized, and you know what they say? A week, a month, a year, many years after, you know what they say? They say, I feel like a new person. You wanna know why they say that? because they are. So take this opportunity and get baptized with us next weekend. Secondly, we're gonna challenge all of you to read God's word. We're gonna do this together as a church. For the next eight weeks, we're gonna read through the book of Romans. It's a big challenge, but it's one that's gonna change the lives of the people in our church. To make it really easy on you, we want you to text the word Romans to 555-888. We are gonna email it to you every single morning so you have a reminder to read along with us. There's gonna be commentary along with it. There's gonna be a chance for you to ask questions. Teaching Pastor Jason Strand is gonna answer some of those questions via social media. It's gonna be incredible eight weeks for us as a church. In fact, you have my permission to do this right now. So you don't forget. So if you wanna pull out your phones, if you want, you can text this word Romans to 555-888. For people who just rather take a printed plan, we'll have those on the way out. But let God's word write new messages in your life. Let him remind you of the power available to you. But as we close, we're gonna enter into a time of communion and we're gonna sing a final song. 
And the song that we're gonna sing is Death Was Arrested. And it says, when death was arrested, my life began. You have made me new. My life begins with you. What a declaration that we are gonna make as a church to cement what we've learned in this first week of this series. But before we get there, we're going to receive communion. And I'm struck that as we do this today, what a unifying act communion truly is. It unites us as one in Christ. It reminds us that Christ is our hope and he is the hope of the world. No matter how chaotic and divisive the world might seem to you right now, Christ unites us. Christ reminds us that love, that love is our final marching order. Love unites all of us. So ushers, you may begin passing out communion at all the campuses. At some campuses, you might need to grab a basket that's under the end of your row and begin passing. But on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he sat around a table with 12 of his closest disciples and followers and he broke a loaf of bread and he said, take this and eat it. Do this and remember me. On the same night, he took a cup, he blessed it, he gave thanks to God for it and he handed it to each of his disciples and said, each of you drink from this. It is my blood, which confirms the commitment between God and his people. It will be poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Just as one man, Adam, brought death, Jesus brings life. He brings hope. He brings forgiveness. And he br brings a relationship with God. So as you receive communion, you're gonna need to peel back the top layer to eat the wafer, peel back the second layer to drink the juice. You don't have to be a member of our church, but we do believe you need to put your faith in Christ, but that gift is yours. You can receive it right where you are sitting. Say to God, I want a relationship with you. I wanna begin and become a new you starting right now. Feel free to take communion when you are ready, and then we're gonna close out with this final song.